no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of a embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. It is not at all comfortable. The war in Afghanistan has officially come to a close in the worst way possible. At this point, I think everybody has seen the imagery and the videos that are coming online from Afghanistan of the amount of people stuck at airports, the amount of people trying to get on planes, people falling from planes that were in the sky, the helicopter picking people up from the embassy, the Taliban finding all these weapons and arms just laying around for them, uh, the image of women having to put back on the religious garb, and just a bunch of imagery and videos that makes the United States essentially end up with egg on their face. Now, I know that this is going to be turned into some type of partisan issue between the left and the right. And honestly, this is not a left or right issue. This is not Joe Biden's fault, if we're going to be honest. This is a culmination of events that have led to the United States and to Afghanistan ending up where it's at. Uh, this was something that started in 2001, and in 2021, it is finally ending in the way that we all knew it was going to end. There is no need to be surprised here because everybody knew, the intelligence communities knew, the generals knew, and our presidents knew that this was not going to be this peaceful nation-building mission that we thought it was going to be. And... That, I think, is the most important part to discuss today about Afghanistan. It's not the fact that Afghanistan fell. It's not that how Afghanistan fell, because it was going to happen regardless. The thing that I want to discuss today is the cost of the Afghan war. Because if we talk about victories, uh, the only winners here are the Taliban, corporations, the military-industrial complex, and politicians. Because what you have is something that started in 2001 and ending in 2021, becoming not 20 years of war, not 20 years of nation-building, not 20 years of work, not 20 years of effort, not 20 years of blood, sweat, and tears, but 20 years of corruption. And that, for me, and I think for you all, should be the biggest takeaway from this. War is a racket. Always has been, always will. And this applies to the Afghan war. It applies to the Iraq war. applies to the Vietnam war, World War II, World War I. It doesn't matter. It applies to all wars. But I think it's important to look at the Afghan war and see what the true cause of the war was and how we ended up where we were at. So I want to begin with the human cost, right? I'm talking soldiers, civilians, things of that nature, right? So with a quick Google search, you can find that over 20,000 U.S. troops were injured during our time in Afghanistan, and over 2,000 American troops died. Over 241,000 lives have been lost in total, and 71,000 of those were civilians. So we have all of this loss of life, all of these soldiers dying, 20,000 of them are injured for the rest of their lives. 
That's it. They're, they're going to be like that for the rest of their lives. You have all of these innocent people losing their lives. Enemy combatants losing their lives. Afghan combatants losing their lives. For what? For us to end up in the same position that we're at now. And one of the things that I would really like to focus on that nobody really talks about is the destruction of Afghanistan. Because last time I checked, Afghanistan is a place. People live there. There are artifacts. There are culture. There is history. This is a very rich region in regards to history and culture. And during the 20 years that we were there, where we were fighting against the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and whoever else, for some reason, there was a big interest in destroying artifacts and culture. The Taliban, however, exposed a fundamental version of Islam that rejects all images of humans and animals and looks at the pre-Islamic past. Cultural heritage officials are divided over whether the group will again go on a rampage as it did in 2001 when it destroyed the famed Bayamin Buddhas as well as a host of objects and statues in the Kabul Museum. The freedom Afghans have gained since 2001 are in jeopardy. In a February statement, Taliban leaders instructed their followers to robustly protect, monitor, and preserve relics, halt illegal digs, and safeguard all historic sites. Significantly, they added that they would forbid selling artifacts on the art market. So what you have is a situation where the Taliban now are in control of artifacts, are in control of culture, are in control of items and relics of the past. Now, they can sit here and say that they want to stop these things, that they're not going to sell them on the market, that they feel like they're being pillaged, but they did take part in multiple raids where they went on a rampage spree and destroyed property. So now we have a human cost, right? The amount of lives we lost. We have the loss of culture. But then, for some reason during this war, we have the loss of opium. And what I mean by the loss of opium is the amount of opium that was produced ever since the United States arrived to Afghanistan. Now, just to give you guys a brief uh, look into the past, before the United States arrived to Afghanistan when the Taliban were in control, there was no opium production. The Taliban did not allow opium to be farmed. It did not allow opium to be sold. It did not allow opium to be produced. But for some reason, once we arrived on the scene, our opium production from Afghanistan extremely exploded, according to this article in Breitbart. Amid the ongoing heroin epidemic in the United States that is killing thousands, the White House and other government agencies have sounded the alarm on Afghanistan heroin possibly flowing into the U.S. through Canada, where most of heroin available is from Afghanistan. There is also an increase in transshipments of Afghanistan heroin going to Canada, a development of concern that is being addressed by Canada with support from the United States, noted the White House last year. When the U.S. began targeting the Taliban and al-Qaeda and Afghanistan on October 7, 2001, the ruling Taliban government had imposed an opium ban in Afghanistan. Opium cultivation and production began to thrive again soon after the U.S. military replaced the Taliban-led government. Estimated opium production in Afghanistan in 2001 was 185 tons, the lowest since the U.N. began, keeping track in 1994. Potential opium production reached 3,300 tons in 2015, the latest year for which data is available, marking a nearly 18-fold increase over the course of the world. And you heard that correctly. An 18-fold increase. 18-fold increase. No nation building, no culture building, no school building. Just sit in the fields, protect the poppy fields, and push that opium so big pharma can make their bucks. Afghanistan also has a lot of mountains. It is a region that's very mountainous, a lot of altitude. There's a lot of rocks pretty much all over the place, what I'm saying. And when you have a lot of rocks, 
you have what is called minerals. Well, according to this article in the New York Times, the United States has discovered nearly $1 trillion in untapped mineral deposits in Afghanistan, far beyond any previously known reserves and enough to fundamentally alter the Afghan economy and perhaps the Afghan war itself, according to senior American government officials. The previously unknown deposits, including huge veins of iron, copper, cobalt, gold, and critical industrial metals like lithium, are so big and include so many minerals that are essential to modern industry that Afghanistan could eventually be transformed into one of the most important mining centers in the world, United States officials believe. An internal Pentagon member, for example, states that the Afghanistan could become the Saudi Arabia of lithium, a key raw material in the manufacture of batteries for laptops and Blackberries. So you have the potential for mass mining of minerals, which during the war, they were mined by certain telecommunications companies. But this is another important part about Afghanistan that I will get to later because there are other countries that want in on these mining materials. So once again, we are continuing to add to the cost of this war. You have the cost of lives. You have the cost of infrastructure. You have the cost of opium. You have the cost of minerals. But what about the actual cost, the amount of money that the United States spent on this war? Well, just to start, let's just look at how much some of these companies have profited off of the war in Afghanistan. In an article in USA Today discussing how much U.S. contractors made or, or have made during certain years of the Afghan war, we can mention one example in which the article states, the United States is home to five of the world's 10 largest defense contractors and American companies, account for 57% total of arms sales by the world's 100 largest defense contractors based on SIPRI data. Maryland-based Lockheed Martin, the largest defense contractor in the world, is estimated to have had $44.9 billion in arms sales in 2017 through deals with governments all over the world. The company drew public scrutiny after a bomb it sold to Saudi Arabia was dropped on a school bus in Yemen, killing 40 boys and 11 adults. Lockheed's revenue from the U.S. government alone is well more than the total annual budget of the IRS and the Environmental Protection Agency combined. That is insane. So we can also continue, though, with the amount that we've spent on the war. The U.S. has spent a stunning total of $2.26 trillion on a dizzying array of expenses according to the Cost of War Project. The Defense Department's latest 2020 report said war fighting costs total $815 billion over the years. That covers the operating costs of the U.S. military in Afghanistan, everything from fuel and fuel to Humvees, weapons, and ammunition from tanks and armor vehicles to aircraft carriers and airstrikes. So just to clarify how big this, this ridiculous amount of spending is, just to fix homelessness in the United States, it would take $30 billion. And we spent $2.2 trillion for a war that led us to nothing, that fixed nothing, that resolved nothing, that had no point of existing after we completed the mission, which was stopping the Taliban and killing Osama bin Laden. And this corruption was not just limited to corporations, to contractors, uh, to the United States government, or to Big Pharma. The Afghan government was also in on this. Because if we look at this 2019 article by the Washington Post detailing the corruption within the Afghan government and the amount of money that was spent on them, you really get into a look of how none of this was tracked. The article states, end quote, the basic assumption was that corruption is an Afghan problem and we are the solution. Bar Barnett Rubin, a former senior State Department advisor and a New York University professor told government interviewers. But there is one indispensable ingredient for corruption, money, and we were the ones who had the money. 
To purchase loyalty and information, the CIA gave cash to warlords, governors, parliamentarians, even religious leaders, according to the interviews. The U.S. military and other agencies also abetted corruption by doling out payments or contracts to unsavory Afghan power brokers in a misguided quest for stability. We have partnerships with all the wrong players, the senior U.S. diplomat told government interviews. The U.S. is still standing solo to solo with these people, even through all these years. It's a case of security trumping everything else. So essentially, we spent 20 years in a region getting other people rich and getting soldiers hurt, getting soldiers killed, and getting civilians killed who had nothing to do with this war. And that is the frustrating part because people will sit here and they will play kickball and blame Democrats and blame Republicans and blame this person, that person, when in reality, everyone is to blame. Everyone in Washington is to blame. The politicians are to blame. The generals who lied are to blame. The Afghan government is to blame. Every single person involved in the manifestation of this war is to blame. And since we've already looked at the current cost of this war, we also need to look at the future cost because Afghanistan is not going to go away. And this is not an issue that's going to just randomly disappear. Now, I'm not sitting here calling for soldiers to go back, even though Joe Biden sent 6,000 troops to Afghanistan recently. But we do not need another war. No, we do not need to go back. But we need to look at the ramifications of what happens when we leave a region like this in disarray. According to the Washington Examiner, the DOD is now ready to house over 30,000 Afghan refugees because of the crisis in the area. Not to mention that the Taliban have recently met with China because China is now ready to acknowledge the Taliban as the rulers and leaders of that area because they want to get in on minerals that they need for cell phone production, battery production, and satellites. So essentially now, what we have is a situation where 20 years of war ended up being for nothing. We spent all this money, lost all these lives, a bunch of people got rich, and nothing happened. And in the end, I think this is once again another lesson for people to understand that when you look at the news, when you look at these politicians, when you look at these, these people on TV tell you things, a lot of it is a lie because they know one thing. They know one truth. And that truth is that there is the world that we live in and there is the world that they tell you that you are living in.